Hi there, this is Austin Hetzler, the pastor of Christ the Rock Church of Elyria, Ohio. We at Christ the Rock are humbled and grateful to be a part of your sanctification today as you listen to this sermon. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to be a member of a good local church and not to allow online sermons to replace the local church and to benefit from the life of that church and to give your spiritual gifts back to that church. Having said that, our website is www.christrockchurch.com. If you go there, you can find sermons, blogs, and other resources as well as our location and service times. You can also listen to the sermons on Bible Thumping Wingnut, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. I, along with the membership of Christ the Rock Church, pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for grace. I pray for a singular focus on the task that's before me. I pray that you open the hearts of your people to receive your word. I pray that you would open the hearts of those here who are not your people, are not amongst us yet, that they may enter into the Christian faith through Christ even today. And the way that the Philippian jailer and his household did. And Lord, I pray that you also teach your people how to have joy through suffering. And I thank you for this great gift that we alone are able to do this in this way, this distinctly Christian kind of suffering. I pray that we glean all these things and more this afternoon. By the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Evangelism is both a thing that is very rigid in message and a thing that can be practiced in many different ways. And to the former, message is the message. It doesn't change. It's Christ and Him crucified. It is the righteousness of Jesus imputed to the person receiving faith. Well, our sin Uh, is imputed to Christ on the cross. It is the power of His resurrection. We receive eternal life by this. Uh, You can contextualize that based on factors like are you speaking to a person who is more legalistic or are you speaking to a person who is more licentious, but the basic framework cannot change because salvation cannot be granted apart from that intact message. On the other hand, though, any medium which is not inherently sinful and does not require sinful means may be employed in the giving of the gospel. So we may, should, and must give the gospel person to person with the lost. You also may play a recording of an evangelistic sermon in your car while an unbelieving co-worker is given a ride to or from work. One of you, in fact, has played sermons of this kind at your workplace around your unbelieving co-workers. Um, You may also pass out what Spurgeon called paper missionaries, which are gospel tracts. People have been using those for a really long time. It's a great, also a great segue into a deeper conversation. You may also evangelize through the use of billboards, if you had the resources to do that. 
And that's uh, relatively common in this country. If you've driven very far south from Ohio, you've seen this recently. You can evangelize through social media. You can, as certain shut-ins have been known to do, also handwrite letters. You can even respond to junk mail with the gospel. Known people who do that. Or as you'll see from Paul and Silas, evangelism can find an outlet in public prayer and public praise. And this is what we will see and very much more as we turn again to the book of Acts chapter 16. We are going to reread the entire narrative, which is contained again in verses 16 through 40. Then from there, we're going to narrow our focus to verses 19 through 34. And that will account for our study today. Pick up then again in verse 16. Now it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a servant girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, These men are slaves of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. But being greatly annoyed, Paul turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to leave her. And it left at that very moment. But when her master saw that their hope of profit had left, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. And the crowd joined together to attack them, and the chief magistrates, tearing their garments off of them, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted them with many wounds, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely, who, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the jailhouse were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everybody's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your house. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his household. And he took them at that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly with his whole household because he had believed in God. Now, when day came, the chief magistrate sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you, therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, Having beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, they have thrown us into prison, and now they are sending us away secretly. No, indeed, but let them come themselves and bring us out. And the policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were very afraid when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept requesting them to leave the city. And they went out of the prison and prepared to and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brothers, they encouraged them 
and left. So, per our previous studies, and as stated in what I just read to you once more, Paul has cast out the demon, demon being a python spirit, consistent with worship of Apollo from a demoniac fortune teller. On today, we are going to see Paul and Silas pay the price for making this girl's owners pay the price of lost profits, because again, no demon means no demonic gifts to profit from. And with that, look again to the last half of verse 19 and the first half of verse 20. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities and when they had brought them to the chief magistrates. And we will stop there so that we can first understand that the marketplace or agora, as it is also called, is also the courthouse, effectively. Okay, Multiple locations have actually been discovered in modern times by archaeologists that make this even more clear. You can see the marketplace in the ruins and you can also see the bima or the judgment seat elevated above it. And then on top of that there is either a jailhouse adjacent to the agora or perhaps even beneath it, subterranean. Next, understand that the magistrates consist of two Romans. And this is the way that it works in every single Roman colony in ancient times. And uh, that was the case in Philippi as well. So, you have official proceedings being held in the official courthouse, so to speak, adjudicated by the officially appointed magisterium. These would be called doomvirs or praetors. And here is the official charge, again, made against the official defendants, Paul and Silas, and I'm being intentionally redundant for purposes that will become clear shortly. Here's the charge, though. These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. Now, as was established last time, again, none of these official charges were actually true. And I'll remind you of this briefly by way of review. First off, the city is not being thrown into confusion by them. It is in a state of confusion. Paul is bringing the light of the gospel into it, which will bring them out of this state. Next, Paul and Silas are also not breaking any actual laws. We said proselytization is obviously not illegal given the presence of synagogues around ancient Asia. Minor Jews are allowed to spread their faith. These are not strictly speaking religious Jews in the way that they would have thought about that, but they didn't know that because they didn't take the time to know that, that these men were preaching Christ. As I said, there was a vague disturbing the peace law, but that would have been properly applied to the mob and not to the two missionaries. And additionally, the magistrate's treatment of Paul and Silas was illegal, again, because they were Romans, which again, they did not know because they shot first and asked questions never So, irrespective, the patina of officiality, this is a sham proceeding in a kangaroo court. It probably also tells you something about the actual state of first century Roman jurisprudence. It was often little more than those with money and means exploiting those without money or means. Because not just anybody had the clout to drag men into court on a whim and see them punished severely on the spot like this. And that's historically true, but I think it's also obvious given the chaos that would ensue if any Tom, Dick, or Harry could do to any other Tom, Dick, or Harry 
what this girl's slave owners just did to these two missionaries. Obviously, this isn't the normal course of events. Very powerful men have conspired and have carried out what would not be possible for just normal people. Now, equal representation under the law was the Roman ideal, but it was commonly not the Roman practice, as it clearly was not here. Lady Injustice was not wearing a blindfold. She was very much eyes open and looking upon the rich with favor. And to that unjust punishment, I want you to look to verses 22 through 24. The crowd joined together to attack them, and the chief magistrates, tearing their garments off of them, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted them with many wounds, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely, who, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. There are three primary aspects of this punishment that I want you to consider. First is the physical punishment itself, the physical beating. This was conducted by men who were known as lictors. And these men, you may have seen them depicted in uh, movies that are set in Roman times, they carried around with them on their backs bundles of rods, which were symbols of Roman justice, although used here for injustice. And according to some historical accounts, they even had an axe in the center of these rods so that not only would they be able to carry out corporal punishment at the command of the praetors, but capital punishment as well, if need be. And these are the agents of Rome that beat them with those rods and inflicted them with many wounds. Now, how many beatings and how many wounds, we don't know, but many, according to the text. And not inconsequentially, I think this is the practical reason why they were not able to sleep. You know what they were doing instead? They were praising instead at midnight. I don't think that sleep was so much of an option for them because I cannot imagine that the mattresses were comfortable. Indeed, they did not have mattresses. They had a stone slab, and then which part of their body would they have rolled onto in order to go to sleep? None, because they were struck everywhere and badly wounded. So they have suffered greatly physically. Next aspect of their suffering to consider is, though, the shame. Marketplace, where this happened, was, as we noted, also the courthouse, but it was still the marketplace. And what do marketplaces have a lot of? People. Lots and lots of people to see Paul and Silas being stripped to pretty well naked and beaten ruthlessly in front of them all. And if human nature holds, and it does, you can probably figure on some crowd participation. Indeed, because you already had crowd participation, it is a gimme. So everybody's involved. There's jeering. There's mocking. There's probably things being thrown. Everybody's having a good time, except for the two being beaten, of course. So obviously, the indignity of this cannot be overstated. But it needs to be recognized or else the praising despite this, and in fact because of it, I think, is quaint instead of profound. We tend to do this with stories that we've heard a lot, don't we? I'll think of it as it is. Understand that this is public humiliation of just about the worst kind. And to make application, I think it's striking to observe this as we consider Christians in our day 
who are unwilling to suffer an internet mob besmirching their character in a far lesser way for upholding the faith. And they reason, you know, but if I stand for truth too publicly, then my character will be assassinated publicly. And then how will I make a living? How will I keep my job or get another job? How will I maintain my position in the community? How will I maintain my influence in the community? You know, all that influence that I am unwilling to leverage for Christ in any meaningful way anyhow. Then we look at Paul in this situation and so many others and the apostles and Jesus and we dismiss their testimonies because, well, they were apostles or missionaries. This was their job and they were them and I am not them. And this, of course, is all true. Be right on both accounts. But then the following was not said to Paul, but to all Christ's followers. Matthew 10.33, whoever, that is the all-encompassing nature of that term, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Is that to say that the price of your denial, either by silence or in word, is going to be hell? Yes, it is. And it is not more complicated than that. And if you have a problem with that, then please take it up with the man who said it, whose name is Jesus. Also, Paul did not write the following about himself only. 2 Timothy three ten through 12. You followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, all of which we have observed. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me indeed. And here, listen again for one of those broad, sweeping phrases. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hold on to desire there too, because what is Christianity if not desire? We are born again unto new affections. That is what repentance unto salvation is, as I have taught you consistently now for the entirety of my ministry. Repentance unto salvation is not first and foremost turning from any behavior to another set of behaviors, one moral code to another. It is a change of affections wrought by the Holy Spirit, which then produces changed behavior. Because you now love that which you did not love and hate that which you used to love. So desire is at the very center of authentic Christianity. And religiosity is no substitute, nor is the occasional Bible verse posted on your social media. You may recall a little while ago, I had one of you give a gospel witness testimony that pertained to your rejection of DEI by your employer, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I was very intentional in having that man do that in front of all of you, and I say this not to glorify him, and I didn't have him give that testimony to glorify him, but I had him give you that because almost all of you either have been or will be confronted with the same thing. And so you're going to have the choice between harming your reputation for Christ or keeping it intact according to the standard of the world in order to save your job. 
there is no choice if you want to be a Christian. And if you are a Christian, I suppose the only choice would be to stop calling yourself a Christian. And I know, I know, People will look at me and they'll hear me say this and they'll say, easy for you to say, you'll keep your job. You sure about that, actually? You sure that greater success couldn't be had by people like me if we were willing to compromise? First off, second off, my wife works for an organization that very much promotes this, probably as heavily or more so than any organization that any of you work for, and we very much require her income in order to make a living. We have already crossed this bridge. We have counted the cost. You must count it too. Must understand that none of the excuses that you make in order to set Christ aside so that you can keep your jobs are valid. None of this is actually available to authentic Christians. By authentic, to be clear, I mean the kind that are going to heaven and not the kind that are going to hell. The church visible is full of liars. I make that distinction because the invisible church, the bride of Christ, the genuine bride, she is everything that the Lord Jesus said that she would be. But the church on earth, which is comprised of wheat and tares, has many deceivers in it, convincing themselves that there is Christianity without a cross or forgiveness without floggings, be they of the literal kind as here or of the figurative kind, as with us, and understand that the reason why so many Christ confessors run from persecution at the expense of Christ is because they have never run to Christ at the expense of their sin. So all I ask you here and now is that you tell the truth. Don't lie to yourselves. Don't lie to each other. If you are here and you have counted the cost and the cost is too high and you are not interested in paying it, then friend, continue to come here. Seriously. You are welcome here as long as you don't cause problems because we want you to sit in the hearing of the gospel. But what we cannot abide and what we will not abide is for you to dilute what it means to be a Christian in order to include your wickedness and apostasy in it. Either stand for Christ at the expense of your reputation or don't. But either way, be honest. Going back to C.E. Hour, there is no upper echelon. You look in the books of martyrs and you will find a whole lot of normal Christians in there. Because when it's put to us, we have to choose Christ. And when it's put to us, what is this life anyways? But that which stands between us and getting our full reward bought for us by Christ. And that full reward is Christ not seen through the veil of this life. Finally, though, Paul and Silas suffer punishment in the form of imprisonment. Not just imprisonment, as though that wouldn't be bad enough, but in verse 24, they fastened their feet in the stocks. And the stocks that their feet were fastened in would have been separated from each other, quite separated from each other. And this would have accomplished two things. First off, it would have made them extremely uncomfortable, to say the least, and caused severe leg and hip cramping. But also, though, and this is the point, would have made running away or even walking away or even crawling away impossible. K. 
cannot happen because of the way that they are bound, and that's also why they're in the inner prison. You'd have thought that they were like the most extreme terrorists ever. In a sense, they are, but what they terrorize is the kingdom of Satan with the gospel. And being bound this way, I think, is another reason why they are definitely not going to be sleeping. And by the way, all that has occurred here is only one of three such occurrences for Paul in particular. He is going to become a frequent flyer as far as these things are concerned. Second Corinthians 11.25, he says, Three times I was beaten with rods. It's the exact same occurrence. as the same situation as is occurring here. This is only then one of three. And in all of this, Paul is fulfilling the purpose of his life that was dictated to him through Ananias. And we observe all the way back in Acts 9, 15 through 16, he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. But again, they practice Christianity truly who are not willing to have to put their resumes back on LinkedIn for the cause of Christ. Right. Now as to what happens next in the story, if you were not a Christian and you were given ten guesses about Paul and Silas's response to all that they have suffered, I don't think that you would ever chance upon this. Verse 25. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, given that this listening is going to result in the conversion of the jailer because of the content of what is being heard, I think it's a safe assumption to say that they're not singing anything that was written or performed by Hillsong. Probably you can take the whole Jesus is my boyfriend genre off the table. Not likely you have any Dove Award winners. It is Dove, right? Did I get that? Okay, because I didn't look that up. Yeah, I don't think you have any of that here. And you can conclude that this is why the fact that the prisoners were listening, as Luke tells us, is significant. It's why that's in there. They have something worth listening to, and that's worth taking note of because they're listening to the gospel being sung and prayed. And to go back to the open, learn from this Christian. Again, when it comes to evangelism, the message is one, but the mediums and the means may be many. And I think I'm okay to say in this, imitate me as I imitate Christ without being judged as self-aggrandizing. At least I hope I am. If you've ever gone to a restaurant with me after church, perhaps, you've heard me pray loudly, not obnoxiously, but loud enough to be heard by those in my vicinity and the waiters and the waitresses, the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for our common faith. Speaking of those at the table which was granted by your Son who spared us all from the wrath of God by faith and repentance in His cross. Do that. Parents at home, there's a great lesson here too. Sing and pray the gospel. Song in particular has a profound capacity to drive information into the hearts of people, little people especially. Avail yourself of this. But let us not only make the connection to evangelism, let us also learn something from this account about Christian joy and happiness. 
Because happiness and joy are not unique to us as Christians. But as seen here, they are absolutely distinct in the way that they are experienced by us as Christians. In fact, I really wish we had different words for this. I'm a lover of language because of what I do. I verbalize things and I write things, but sometimes I lament the limitations of language, and this is one of those occasions because this is an entirely different category. And the reason why this is experienced so differently by us as happiness and joy is because of something Paul called our inner man. And he references this three times in his writings. Inner man, as you might guess, does refer to the human soul, but as it turns out, it does not refer to the souls of all humans, apparently, because Paul only uses this as a reference to believers. And the way that he speaks of this, only the believer has an inner man. And to help you to understand the nature of this inner man, and thus how and why Paul and Silas respond to severe beatings with praise, I think there is one place that we can look to that is especially instructive with respect to this. And that is 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 18. And as I begin reading this, I want you to keep in mind that all of this leads to and ends with the identification of the inner man and informs our understanding of it. Okay, so here we go. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for the sake of Jesus For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. In every way afflicted, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying from many beatings and stonings and all the rest, Yet, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Christian, there's something you need to understand about yourself if you actually belong to this faith, and that is that what you see when you look in the mirror, you perceive with your eyes and with your senses about yourself is really and truly not the end of you. There is an aspect of your being that is not seen but is felt because it is very much alive. It is very much real. It is your inner man or woman. It's not imagined. It's not merely 
ethereal. It's not some pleasant religious fiction devised and believed by people seeking to add significance to lives and existences that lack it. If you belong to Christ, you have an eternal substance which was quickened at your conversion and can never die. And this aspect of your being feels the oppression of Satan. It feels the oppression that comes from circumstances, but it is not bound to these or bound by them or a slave to them. And this part of you, this dimension of your being, is that which Satan most desires to harm. Because if he could, well, to injure this aspect of your being would be far more injurious than anything that happened here to the bodies of Paul and Silas in our text. But it is this that is kept from the devil by Christ. It is this that abides in the heavenly places now. And because of this, if you are put in the ash heap, you can still say in an uncontrived way, through shattered teeth, I know my Redeemer lives. And if you're put in a prison cell with a broken body, you can sing and you can pray about your Redeemer out loud because praise is worship and worship comes from the soul of a Christian and the soul of a Christian, our inner man cannot be broken. It exists beyond the reach of the devil. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4 again says, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For Paul, that decay has been greatly accelerated by stonings and beatings and shipwrecks and starvation and, and, and. In fact, Paul nor Silas are likely to fully recover from what has just happened here physically. Like ever Surely this is contributing to what he references in the book of Galatians as the brand marks of the Lord Jesus. What's happened here is very, very severe. It has broken him. But that which has broken his body has only strengthened his soul. And that's why he praises in his pain. And the same is true of Silas. And the same is true of every Christian. Now we suffer. And we should never fake joy and happiness. And you should never be told that there is no place for lamentation in the Christian faith. There's a place for it. That's why there's a whole book called Lamentations. And much more in the Scriptures that are devoted to that. But it is also true, and gloriously so, that every one of us that actually knows Christ has known this kind of transcendence. We have been put into circumstances that beg for lamentation and yet something different came out of our mouths emanating from our souls that made no sense based upon the circumstances. And let me say here, for you who do not know Christ, we wish the same for you. We wish that you could cut through this fog. We wish that you could see the world in color instead of black and white. We wish that you could understand the difference between the kind of happiness and joy that you have experienced, the dull, formless thing that you call joy and happiness. We wish that you could understand the distinction between that and what is happening here in the souls of these men. You have not known 
life if you have not known it as a Christian. You do not know what it is to live. Certainly have not known joy. Exuberant. As it is here with these men. And in our text, it is this that will plant a seed in the heart of the jailer. And you'll see that seed germinate from a little help, or with a little help, rather, from an earthquake. Verse 26 again, Suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the jailhouse were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And I tell you, as I read this, I thought even in modern charismatic churches, praise time doesn't get this out of control. I mean, it gets out of control, but not like this. The whole place is falling apart now. Everybody's free. And that presents a real problem for the jailer because surely the prisoners will avail themselves of the option that they now have to escape. And so this leaves him with only two options, really. I mean, maybe he could get away with not dying, but probably not. And so that gives him only options in terms of ways to die, which include public execution, being drugged into that agora, and becoming a, a mockery to everyone there as he loses his life at the edge of a Roman sword. Or he can pull out his own sword and handle business privately. So, as you might imagine, verse 27, when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. A lot has happened here. And it's pretty significant. So let me give you a recap. You have an earthquake hit. And this event in and of itself is not terribly significant because in this part of the world, that's not unheard of. But this earthquake is peculiarly surgical in the way that it works. Like loosening chains and stuff, picking locks. It's an earthquake that can pick locks, which is certainly uh, different. Even so, though, everybody having the option to leave, not only do Paul and Silas not avail themselves of this opportunity, somehow they also convince the other prisoners to not escape either, such that it would seem like the other prisoners weren't just listening to the preaching of the gospel via prayers and praise. They were receiving something of the message, and if this is not the case, then I have a really difficult time accounting for why it is that they're still in the jail. Because that contingency is unthinkable otherwise. It is so unthinkable that the jailer doesn't even check the jail before deciding to kill himself because, of course, everybody's going to leave if all the doors are opened and all the chains are loosed. And so Paul has to cry out and say, Hey, don't run yourself through. It's okay. Everybody's still here. No need to suicide yourself. So instead of a suicide, there is the birth of a Christian, and in fact, many. Pick up again in verse 29. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And as I've said previously, you shouldn't take it for granted that salvation means what it means in Christian doctrine, but here you can. 
because he has been hearing Paul and Silas, this is an informed question, understanding the nature of salvation. And you can see that in their response, which is, picking up again in verse 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your house. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his household. And he took them at that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and greatly rejoiced with his whole household because he has believed in God. Now, practically speaking, they have become wards of his and he has the clearance to do this. As the jailer, also the jailhouse is in shambles, so he may take them. And he has. They are still in his custody. That would have been in keeping with Roman custom and law. But there are a couple things that I want to highlight here spiritually, and they both pertain to the visible fruit of salvation. You recall with Lydia, what was the evidence of her salvation that's chiefly given in the text? That aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. It was hospitality. Here again, it is the same. As I said there and hopefully made clear to you it is a huge deal to lack hospitality and to possess it is a tremendous sign that you have been indwelt by the holy spirit you see that here you also see great love coming from this man to these missionaries he is tending to their wounds he is washing their bodies and caring for them. This brother has become a brother. And you can see it in his life. You can see it work itself out. You can also see him identifying with these men in a powerful way. Which is a dangerous thing to do considering what has just happened to them and the way that they are seen by the authorities and the way that their burgeoning religion is seen by the world. In conclusion, I will plead with you one more time. If you are here and you are an unbeliever, I will plead with you to turn from this life and what you think of as pleasure and what you think of as joy and to turn to the Lord Jesus to give you not shadows but the substance. Ask that question, and I will answer. What must I do to be saved? Turn to the Lord Jesus now. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony of these men, which is really the testimony of your spirit at work in them. We thank you that whether you put us in a palace or you put us in a prison, we are still able to praise. Because irrespective of the circumstance that we may find ourselves in by your providence in this life, this world, and all of them, and the next life, it all belongs to you. We praise you for this, for the hope that we have as your people, and for the way that we transcend this life because you have transcended it for us. Praise you and thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hi there, this is Austin Hetzler, the pastor of Christ the Rock Church of Elyria, Ohio. We at Christ the Rock are humbled and grateful to be a part of your sanctification today as you listen to this sermon. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to be a member of a good local church and not to allow online sermons to replace the local church and to benefit from the life of that church and to give your spiritual gifts back to that church. Having said that, our website is www.christrockchurch.com. If you go there, you can find sermons, blogs, and other resources as well as our location and service times. You can also listen to the sermons on Bible Thumping Wingnut, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. I, along with the membership of Christ the Rock Church, pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you.